Welcome to Wellspring on the Air, where professional Christian counselors share practical and biblical insights because hearts and minds matter. My name is Mario Diarmas. I'm a therapist here at Wellspring and the host of today's show, which poses a very significant question. Who is the right therapist for those who identify themselves as African-American and Black? And in the midst of discussing this very important conversation, we have two wonderful young ladies with us today. We have Ms. Kara Kido and Ms. Goma Kondi. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Mario. Thank you. Good to be here. Great to have you. And ladies, why don't we start with a little introduction uh, in terms of your focus on counseling, your background, and your time at Wellspring. Uh, Kara, if you could uh, start us off. Sure. So I have been with Wellspring since about 2016. I started as a student intern and I'm a, now a registered social work intern. I focus on EMDR, which is a form of therapy that is useful for those who have experienced trauma. And I also enjoy working with um, individuals and couples who have relationship issues or premarital counseling um, I love to see um, those types of clients. So thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. How about you, Goma? Yeah, my name is Goma again. Um, been with Wellspring for about two years. I am a marriage and family therapist, um, focused on trauma work, particularly in with couples, um, working on <clears throat> marriages, divorce, contemplation, um, I like to say because hopefully we can prevent divorce. Um, and I love especially working also with adolescent girls, um, doing trauma work with them. I've published a book for young women called Finding Her Own Way in Wellspring Care is this as well. So I'm just really happy to be here. Uh, more than anything, I think I'm excited about, about seeing what God um, still has to do with marriages. And so good to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. And uh, we were discussing this topic as far as who's the right therapist for someone who identifies as African-American. And there's these nuances that the two of you discussed uh, so well, you articulated points that caused me to reflect. You know, they were very thought provoking uh, regarding bias or the hesitancy on the part of the client, you know, and I, I don't wanna say more, it's almost like a teaser uh, to get the two of you to share your perspectives. But uh, Cara, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of who is the, you know, talking about who is the right therapist for people who identify as African-American or, or Black, we can't even begin to have this conversation until we talk about the elephant in the room, which is race and racism. Two topics that make people very uncomfortable. So I challenge those who are listening to get comfortable being uncomfortable as we lean into this discussion, okay? So one of the, so there are several things that when it comes to this topic that we, we are going to attempt to address today. And that is, there is barriers to treatment, which, for, for many African-Americans, there is stigma, fear of judgment, misdiagnosis, racial and implicit bias in care, and also lack of 
culturally competent providers. So I wanna talk a little bit to, uh, to speak about the barriers to care. So according to the National Alliance on Mental Health, the Office of Minority Health, Black adults in the US are more likely than white adults to report persistence, persistent symptoms of emotional distress, such as sadness, hopelessness, and feeling like everything is an effort. Black adults live below the poverty line and are more than twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those with more financial securities. Despite these needs, only one in three Black adults who need mental health care receive it. And the Black community, like other communities of color, are more likely to experience socioeconomic disparities, and that also impacts access to care. Um, and these disparities also contribute to worse mental health incomes, um, outcomes. So, I want to talk about the stigma, the, the stigma that is associated with seeking mental health. Like a lot of in our community, we find that there is this idea that, you know, if I go for mental health counseling, it means that I'm crazy, I'm mad, something is wrong with me. There's this negative connotation to receiving help, right? It's almost demonized and you're seen as weak and somehow inferior if you, if you seek counseling. But the reality is, is that if you, if you have all those stigmas attached to your culture, then that makes you twice as strong for actually taking the step, right? For many people who have to, who have to do that. And so there's a, just a lot of, there's a lot of negative perceptions about seeking help. One study, show that 63% of Black people believe that a mental health condition is a sign of personal weakness. Mm. That's a lot. And that's a huge number percentage-wise. Yes. And so there's a lot of shame that goes along with that about having a mental illness. All right. And in addition to that, they also worry that they may be discriminated against due to their, their own condition. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Goma, when you listen to Takara's assessment based on the data, does anything come to mind just in hearing some of the analysis? No, but I think, I mean, having, you know, being a, a Black person myself and, and having had relatives who are afraid uh, of going to therapy, partly because culturally it's not not that it's not accepted, but it's not even known, right? It hasn't, there's no real, you don't have models in, in our culture of people who have done this. So of course people are hesitant because what you don't know scares you, right? Yeah. Uh, and people don't want to try it. Um, people usually are comfortable exploring things when others can tell the story and say, I've done it. I was safe, everything was fine, you can do it. So yeah, I can see how people wouldn't want to embrace therapy or how they could see it as, that's a sign of weakness. Yeah. And Cara, what blows my mind is you have so many well-intentioned therapists seeking to help and assist. And all of the aspects of, of cultural implications that you mentioned would not be in their radar. So right. what happens to that therapist not 
informed, not well-versed right, in right, this area? Right. What, what do we do about that? That's a really good question, right? Because that brings up the concern of bias, right? Implicit bias, um, racial bias. Th these things exist. And a lot of times we're afraid to acknowledge it. We're afraid to, again, address the elephant in the room um, because we don't want to be seen as, oh my gosh, like that's me, right? There's, there's even that, like as a provider, you know, we don't want to be the one that, that, that we're talking about, right? And, um, but the, the fact of the matter remains that Black people have been negatively affected by prejudice and discrimination, even within the healthcare system. And there's a lot of research and, and, and articles and stuff like that on that. And because of that historical distrust for the medical system, it even translates over into the therapeutic environment, right? And when a provider for, for African-Americans and you know, those of us who are black, you, we understand the bias that is out there right? We are aware because we have to be aware. Like as a black person, you have to be aware of the bias that is out there because it directly impacts you and it directly impacts your family. Mm -hmm. And so because we are aware of the bias that exists, it's almost like we are even more cautious or a little bit hypervigilant when it comes to seeking care. And there's a little bit of distrust built into that because it's like, can I, can I really be myself? Right. Can I really be fully myself with a clinician that is, that doesn't look like me. Right. And because there is that fear of judgment, because there's that fear of, you know, I don't want to be seen, you know, in the stereotypical way. I don't want to come across like the angry black woman, or I don't want to come across, you know, as the angry black man or anything like that there is oftentimes this cautiousness that we inadvertently bring into the therapy room when we are the clients. Um, and it really, in, it causes us to not really fully be ourselves, even in the therapy room. Mm -hmm. So if a clinician is not culturally competent or aware, or even wants to acknowledge that racial and implicit bias exists, they are not even going to see like all of their clients. Right, yeah. they're not even going to even go the, go down that road because it's not on their mind, it's not on their radar. And is it that they're not aware of what's happening, or they just don't know how to approach it? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it's both. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a very scary thing. Um, you know, to 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 venture into discussions about race and racism because people are afraid of offending and afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so that oftentimes causes people to just be silent. Yeah. And the paralysis often does more damage. Absolutely. Because in a vulnerable moment, I was raised in a Cuban home, went to high school in a very very large, you know, densely populated Hispanic location. And to be exposed to something foreign can be intimidating. And then when you're aware of the fact that this is new, you can either freeze or you can either inquire. And 
there might be a fear too that you may say the wrong thing and you may be labeled a certain way for saying the wrong thing and fear thrives in secrecy and for the therapist to even again in, in in my estimation for the therapist to be vulnerable about the fact that we are from different cultures then the elephant of the room is exposed yes so i know there's a lot more to discuss uh you even had a great analogy from a very popular TV show. Yes. <laughs> so we are we're going to stay tuned for that. We're going to take a brief break and we will come back momentarily. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Mario Diarmis and if you're just joining our show, our topic today addresses the question of who is the right therapist for those who identify as African American and black. Uh Kara Kidoa and Goma Kondi have assisted in this uh, wonderful and meaningful conversation. And we're going to pick up on that in just a minute. Uh, if you just joined us, you can find us on your favorite podcast channel on Wellspring on the Air or on our website blog page at wellspringmiami.org. Just search for this topic. So Cara, we had just discussed this idea of the hesitancy on the part of the therapist and the dangers of silence in this regard. Because it's yeah. funny, silence is a therapeutic modality, but silence can also do damage when it comes to this area by not broaching the subject. So you had mentioned a TV show and made a great correlation. So if you can tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so I'll, you know, This Is Us, which is a very popular TV show, um, has a character called Randall who all of us love, those of us who watch This Is Us. And Randall is black and he was raised, he was adopted by a white family as a baby. So he grew up with um, white parents, white siblings, and he struggled a lot with his, um, you know, just his, his identity as he, as he grew into a teenager. So by the time he got to be an adult, he sought out a therapist, he had anxiety, for a long time. And so he sought out a therapist who happened to be white. And going along one day, Randall had this, this kind of like aha moment in his life. And he, he realized, he walked into his therapist's room and he said to her, I realize that I check part of myself at the door. I do not come into this room and bring in all of myself because I know that I have to present myself a certain way to people in order to not appear or in order not to be, you know, discriminated against. Um, and that causes me to leave a part of myself out the door. And he was like, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong or anything like that. But he was like, I needed, I need to find somebody where I feel like they can see all of me. Right. And that was just like a very kind of powerful moment, you know, and, and it even resonated with me because then I started to think about even my, my, I, as a therapist, I have my own therapist. And so I even thought about that. And one of the things that even came to my mind with my therapist was that she wasn't a Christian. And so I was leaving that part of me at the door. You know, and so sometimes, you know, when we're looking for someone that, 
you know, can see all of you. Sometimes we don't even realize the, the part of us that we may be checking at the door because we don't feel like this is a comfortable, like I never felt comfortable necessarily talking about my faith with my non-Christian therapist because she didn't really make it a comfortable space to talk about. And I can imagine similarly, you know, if, if we're in that environment, we can also have that discomfort, you know, as a black person, even bringing up matters of race and um, issues of race that we are going through if the therapist hasn't even asked a question about it. Definitely. And, and that's the invitation for a therapist is to ask the question because there we assume that because the other person hadn't brought it up in the first place, then there isn't a problem. But in the case of Randall, it had been two years in therapy. And I think to myself, how many people have not had the most efficacious session because that one dimension, but it's such an important dimension, i.e. your Christianity, i.e. your race, isn't broached directly and how beautifully the sessions can be enhanced. Yeah. And again, we're talking about good-hearted, clinically sound therapists that, in, in my mind, miss an opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's just admitting that we don't have all the answers. It's, it's the ability to be vulnerable. And now moving along from implicit bias, uh, we move into therapist bias. And Goma, you had a lot to discuss in that regard. Yeah, Mario, I like, I want to start with a definition first from Trawinski, and I hope I'm doing this person's name justice, but I think it's Trawinski and Henrich. And I like how they define bias. Um, bias is anything that limits one's capacity to relate to the other as a whole, or that which creates a tendency to marginalize aspects of another person's experiences. Mm. Um, so of course, from the definition, I think we all can say that we all can be biased at one point or another, right? And so that does not exclude the therapist. So we have therapists who come to practice with um, their own biases. And it's important for us to be aware of that, right? Um, it's important for us to be able to reflect um, and to know that because we're capable of having biases, after sessions, it's important for us to reflect and think about what our sessions were like, um, talk to our clients, see how they feel about the session. And the way, the way we prevent what happened with the guy in This Is Us, is by talking to our clients, asking not to be afraid to ask, what was session like for you? Was there anything that you felt that I missed out on? Mm. Right? As we were talking, what could I have done better? Do you feel like I'm acknowledging your story? Am I really exploring with you your story? I think those things will help us to see where our limitations are. Yeah? Um, so I like this story. There was a study done in 2011. And what they found was that 50%, listen to this number, means half of clients said that their therapist lacked cultural competency mm. or that the therapists were biased. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, now yeah. that's a large number. Okay. Um, so I, I heard this beautiful story. If I read about it, it was in, I believe it was the Oprah Mag magazine or something. But in 2013, and this person is called Latoya, Latoya Johnson. 
Natalia Johnson made several calls around looking for a therapist. Okay. When she called, she was very specific. She shared what she was calling for. She shared that she felt overwhelmed and that she didn't want to talk to friends. She even went as far as making sure that the therapists understood that the insurance that she had would be able to fit with the different practices that she had called into. Then she went as far as saying that she was available just about every evening, most evenings during the week. So she gave all of <clears throat> the, all that we require to be able to book an appointment um, mm -hmm. for therapy. And she waited and waited. Um, and then she did receive some calls, but here's what happened. She spoke to over 80 entry machines, according to this study. And she did get some call back, right? But only 17 offered an appointment. Okay. So 17 did. And here's the, the good news, or I call it the funny part to the story. Latoya wasn't a, a real person. This was a research that was done and she was, this, this person was assigned this name in order to assess for racial biases, right? So 17 persons called back, 17 appointments were made. Then they had actors who had racially distinctive names and race and class-based speech patterns make the same call that Latoya made, but this time the name was Amy Roberts. Amy Roberts then got 23 invitations to come in and talk. Wow. All right. Mm -hmm. So if you remember the story, Latoya got 17, Amy Roberts gets 23. <clears throat> Amy Roberts did not even go to the extent that Latoya did in terms of I'm available. This time I have all of these you know, my insurance will cover all of this, et cetera, et cetera. So that shows you why then a black person may be hesitant mm -hmm. to call in and get help. If one reads a story like this, or if one hears about this, they're going to think, but the same could happen to me. Mm -hmm. right. wow. So this is how therapists, exactly. This is how as, as therapists, we also show our biases. And sometimes we don't think much, much of it. No. Sometimes we know, but sometimes we just don't think much of it, right? Um, so the therapist needs to be able to acknowledge. You have to acknowledge race, and Kara talked about this earlier. You have to acknowledge race and racism. We can't be afraid of offending people, right? And I think sometimes the reason we don't take these calls is really because we're afraid. I don't think people are mean or cruel all the time. But I think it's because we're probably thinking, how can I serve this client? Mm. Or am I capable of serving this client? Um, so we get caught in that web of fear, the fear web, I call it. And we stay there and don't move outside of that to be able to say, well, I can take on the client because I can actually explore it with the client to be able to help me understand how I can best serve this client. Yeah. Right. It's beautifully said. It's a challenge for introspection. And just the number of examples that you provided along with that scenario of one name as opposed to another, 
you know, and whether it be ignorance or fear or a combination, uh, what I am always encouraged by is our call as Christians to heed the words of scripture, uh, which, which is always fundamentally sound when it comes to love and not just the people with whom you're familiar. You know, Christ took that concept of neighbor and expanded it in a very radical way. The Samaritan, the Canaanites. I mean, he said, you know, the minute you're comfortable with this pocket, I'm going to expand it because love goes much more than, than your capacity. And I'll supply you with the grace, but I'm going to set the standard much higher above all. So, uh, Carl, would you like to share a couple passages with us? Sure. Um, I like this passage from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 to 21. And it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love, does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wow. And it really comes down to that. Ladies, it was such a joy discussing this topic. And it's just a small fragment of a very, very large and crucial point of conversation. So I pray that we continue this ongoing exploration so that for the sake of being better therapists, better Christians, and, and delving deep into the lives of our clients, you know, we can identify those barriers you know, through vulnerability and openness. So thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to future conversations. Good to be here, Maria. Again, if you join this program midstream, you can find the show and others on podcasts at Wellspring on the Air or on our blog on wellspringmiami.org. The title of today's show again posed the question, who is the right therapist for those who identify as African-American and Black? It's time to wrap up. This is Mario Diarmas with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter.